to keep classrooms open. QP's left us with no choice but to pass the Keeping Kids in Class Act. You can put in all of the legislation in place, but you cannot control a worker movement that is so fed up with your overreach. On the eve of a potential strike, the province and its education workers turn their backs on a deal, leaving families scrambling to make childcare plans for tomorrow and perhaps beyond. Good evening. Hope of any resolution to this fight before day's end is fading and fast. Talks between the province and CUPE broke off mid-afternoon. And starting tomorrow, barring late-night efforts, schools across Ontario will be closed to in-person learning. CTV's Queen's Park reporter Siobhan Morris has been following this story from the start, and she joins us now live. Siobhan. Nathan, a bill that was intended to block a, uh, a strike and impose a contract on QP workers is now the law in Ontario, but a defiant QP says they'll be on picket lines tomorrow. QP leaders kicked out of Queen's Park as MPPs voted to approve a historic piece of legislation, a bill that imposes a contract on 55,000 educational support workers. The education minister says he had no choice after a mediator called off talks the parties too far apart. It's disappointing that we have to get here. All along, we have hoped to reach an agreement that's right for students, that's right for parents, right for workers, and for taxpayers in this province. But QP wouldn't budge. QP says it cut its wage request down by more than half, the most their members could tolerate. To hear today that the minister is concerned about people not being able to eat, children not being able to eat, is a smack in the face to the quarter of my members that are already at food banks. It means QPEAs, custodians, and early childhood educators. We are on strike. Until our members decide we otherwise. The union says parents should make alternate arrangements for their kids next week. We've been very clear uh, that we're going to use every tool at our disposal to get these schools open. The toolbox includes fines of half a million dollars a day for the union, something QP says it will fight but cover if it needs to. There could also be penalties for striking workers. If the government of Ontario wants to clog up the justice system with $4,000 per member per day fines, then I say bring it on. The government's using the notwithstanding clause to guard against a constitutional challenge of the bill. I'm very cognizant of the extraordinary difficulty the strikes and the pandemics of the past three years have had on children in Ontario. This is not a normal time in society. QP sees the use of the clause as a galvanizing force for workers. It impacts every public sector worker, every private sector worker. This is about trade union rights. This is about workers' rights. And that is why you are seeing growing support across the province. No. They don't know what they have started here. The Minister of Education has instructed school boards to do everything they can to keep classrooms open for learning for students, but most school boards in Ontario have said they don't see how it can be done with CUPE members out. Reporting live from Queen's Park, I'm Siobhan Morris. Zoraida, back to you. Thank you, Siobhan. Well, down the street from Siobhan is our Beth McDonnell, live outside the Sheridan Centre, where people are rallying against the actions of the Ford government. Beth. The Ontario Parent Action Network has organized this rally. There are several dozen people here who are in support of education workers. They say they are unhappy with the Ford government's approach. They have been cheering, holding signs, and they got creative making this bargaining table. It has question marks around the name of Ford and Lecce. 
and I'm with one of the organizers of the rally, Rachel Hewitt. Uh, Rachel, please tell me, you know, what is this bargaining table all about that you have in front here? This is a symbolic bargaining table. You'll notice that Ford and Lecce are missing from the bargaining table, and it's meant to represent where they should be. We want to see the Ford government, Lecce, back at the bargaining table with education workers. You are a parent. Many parents will not have their children in school tomorrow. You know, why are you supporting janitors, EAs, the other workers, if it's also important to have your kids in school? Of course I want my kids in school. I have three kids in the public school system. Uh, but I also respect education workers' rights to collectively bargain, and that's how workers improve their working conditions. And when those working conditions are improved, conditions are also improved for kids like mine, kids here, and parents across Ontario. You know, there are two sides to this. You know, what do you want QP to know? What do you want the Ford government to know? I want education workers to know that parents are standing with them. We understand and recognize the hard work they do every day in our classrooms and our school buildings. We see that work, we see them, and we think they deserve to be treated with respect and paid decently for that work. We also recognize that we need services and more funding for a public education system so that all kids can get their learning needs met. Thank you very much. Now, this rally will be continuing till about 7 o'clock. We'll be standing by. Now back to the station. Thank you, Beth. And we have much more online, including information on closures and what activities may be available Friday around the GTA for parents and their families. It's on our website, ctvnewstoronto.ca. The temperature's been pretty comfortable most of today, but the soup-like conditions caused by fog made it a little tough to get around. We'll get more details on all of that in our first weather update coming up in just a few minutes. In Brampton today, authorities have been going through the events of a deadly fire at a senior's home. The fire broke out at McCarty Court Complex shortly before 3 a.m. Officials say one man who lived in the facility was killed. The building was evacuated for a short time, but residents were eventually allowed to return once the fire was out. No word yet on the age or identity of the person who died and no word on a cause of the fire. Well, new developments tonight regarding this week's gun violence at a Scarborough school. Police say they're looking into a video reportedly showing the events surrounding the shooting at Woburn Collegiate that left one teen dead and another in hospital. CTV's Allison Hurst joins us now with more details. Allison. And that video circulating online is believed to be from Monday's shooting. We are working to confirm it and police have confirmed to us they're aware of the video and they're trying to authenticate it. A large police presence remains at Woburn Collegiate three days after a shooting on the front lawn killed 18-year-old Jefferson Gurrier. And I just heard like three shots, so then I just ran all the way back into school. In a rare move, police have named the suspect. 17-year-old Mustafa Kadem, wanted for second-degree murder. I was shocked because like I recognized him. He's a nice guy. Like He didn't have like, any threat or whatever from what I've seen. He was a pretty nice guy. School safety is under the microscope this week. All, all of us matter, you know, all, all of our students matter. 13 staff members at York Memorial Collegiate began work action Tuesday, refusing to show up, citing safety concerns. We've had some evidence over the course of the last week or so that we need to do more. The Toronto District School Board is meeting with staff to try to resolve the work action. This go forward has to take into account the voice of students, the voice of staff, and of course, must include community agencies who have deep roots 
in the areas that we intend to serve. Louis March, founder of Zero Gun Violence Movement, says everyone involved needs to share information. They're not working together. Everybody's working in silos. We have to build a new partnership, a new relationship where the students, uh, service providers, Toronto District School Board and policing have to work together. Because of the suspect's age, police had to get special permission to release his name and photo. They say he is believed to be armed and dangerous. Reporting live, I'm Allison Hurst. Nathan, back to you. All right, thank you, Allison. The Ministry of Health published its weekly COVID-19 update this afternoon as experts warn a rough respiratory virus season is just getting underway. As of today, 1,842 patients are in Ontario hospitals with COVID-19. Last Friday, the number reached 1,964 and that's higher than at any point since early February. The province also recorded 120 COVID-19 deaths over the last week. The Chief Medical Officer of Health, Dr. Kieran Moore, says he's considering making stronger recommendations around masking. He also called on people to get vaccinated against COVID and the flu. And that surge of COVID patients in our hospitals is partly to blame for recent spikes in wait times and bed shortages. Tonight, new concerns. Children's hospitals are experiencing an increase in critical care patients, and they're asking for urgent support ICUs normally reserved for adults. CTV Sean Lethong joins us now with the details. Sean. Well, Zoraida and Nathan, quite frankly, respiratory viruses are hitting the province's kids very hard. They're coming in very quickly to the uh, emergency rooms and then the ICU. So effective immediately, Ontario Health has recommended that anybody who is going to the ICU age 14 and older actually go to an adult ICU rather than a pediatric one. Outside the emergency room at St. Joseph's in Toronto, patients like Shiva Gopi are noticing more children than usual. It seems as though it's uh, the focus right now is, is, is on the kids there. And as the kids come in, an early surge in viruses like RSV and the flu has Ontario Health planning for a surge in pediatric ICU patients. We think it may be about twice as big as last year's RSV season, for example. Uh, and then we have influenza, which we haven't really seen in Ontario in a big way for, for three years or so. Yesterday, a memo went out from the Ontario Critical Command Centre to Ontario's hospital CEOs saying the next two to three months will bring significantly increased demands for pediatric critical care that will be characterized by unplanned surges. We need to make room uh, for these kids that we know are going to need uh, pediatric intensive care. So they're requesting that people aged 14 and over requiring critical care are managed in adult critical care beds that hospitals proactively create and sustain capacity in adult critical care, which also may result in the need to ramp down surgical procedural volumes. But the call to accept children in the adult ICU comes at a time when it appears the larger healthcare system is in trouble. Everyone in healthcare right now that's dealing with pediatrics is screaming to find a solution because we're being crippled right now. And even the medications that we're using to treat these kids um, is in short supply. Staff shortages have been well documented this year, as have shortages in some over-the-counter medications like children's Tylenol. More recently, we are seeing an amoxicillin shortage as well. In the last few days, pharmacist Kiro Masai says amoxicillin, an antibiotic commonly prescribed to kids, is being back-ordered, making the next few months seem even more uncertain. You stack them all on top of each other at a time when...
when uh, the health workforce is, uh, uh, you know, a, a bit down uh, and, uh, and, and uh, tired out from everything they've been through over the last three years, uh, it creates a bit of a, of a perfect storm for the surge. Creating fears for another long winter ahead. And not long ago, the Ministry of Health did release a statement said they are in contact with the province's pediatric hospitals, and they did ask for them to create a plan for possible surges. When it comes to other hospitals in the area, we know the University Health Network is in compliance. They have received the memo and are ready to accept more patients. And the Hospital for Sick Children contacted us not long ago to say that they are in compliance as well. They do have capacity in their ICU, and they do expect that this will actually affect just a small number of patients in the months going forward. Reporting live, I'm Sean Lethal. It's all right. I'll send it back to you. Thank you, Sean. Still ahead, problem tenants accused of stiffing landlords out of thousands of dollars in rent. A CTV News Toronto investigation coming up in just a few minutes. And here's a live look at the city right now. A comfortable day, but a tough one for people trying to drive around the region thanks to the fog. Lindsay Morrison's here with a look at the current conditions. Lindsay. Well, Nathan, it's really just in the last couple of hours that we've finally seen some of that fog start to lift, especially downtown Toronto, but it remains dense in areas like Scarborough through Durham region over toward Coburg and Kingston. That's where a fog advisory remains at this hour. Here's a look at the satellite and radar. It gives you a little bit of an idea of where the fog remains currently. Because of the excess cloud cover that we ended up having this afternoon, we didn't quite make it to our forecast daytime high of 15 in Toronto, but again, just in the last hour or two we have really warmed up 13 at this hour only seven in Oshawa again where the fog is uh, significantly thicker and look at that it is 16 all the way north into the Meaford area 14 in Muskoka tomorrow another very mild day and the weekend looks warm too those details are coming up for now Zoraida over to you thank you Lindsay well October was another month of slower home sales across the GTA as higher interest rates continue to cool down the market the question now for people looking to buy or sell property is how long will this lull last. The Toronto Regional Real Estate Board says total home sales were down more than 49% last month compared to October 2021. They were flat compared to September, but at the same time, new listings are down more than 11% year over year. The number of properties on the market hasn't been this low for the month of October since 2010. You know, eventually people are going to come to terms uh, with higher borrowing costs. They'll decide to purchase a different type of home at a lower price point or somewhere else in the GTA, and they'll start moving back into the marketplace. And if we don't have the supply there to meet the needs, um, we'll start to see a lot more competition between buyers and a reacceleration in home prices. And obviously that presents issues for affordability over the long term. Analysts say sellers are holding off on listing properties because they fear they won't make as much as they would during the market peak. The average price of a home in the GTA was down 5.7% in October to just under $1.1 million. Wait times remain long at the landlord-tenant board, and those delays are costly. Our investigative unit has the story now of one Ontario landlord who says he took a tenant to the board over $12,000 in unpaid rent, and that amount skyrocketed as the proceeding wore on. And John, there is a twist here as this tenant is a Canadian Border Guard officer. Yeah, Zoraida, that officer tells us he's in the right. He fought back for over a year at the landlord-tenant board and now in court. And it's not his first time defending himself at the LTB. I got photos, so it's okay. 
This is cell phone video taken this summer of a St. Catherine sheriff supervising an eviction at this home on Beachview Drive. Documents the landlord filed in the Landlord and Tenant Board alleged the tenant, Ricardo Gallardi, wasn't paying $4,000 a month in rent. You know, it's, it's, it's pretty uh, unbelievable. Landlord Mike Adams said the financial impact on him has been huge and got bigger with every delay. The tenancy began in August 2020. When Adams tried to terminate it three months later, the disputed rent was more than $12,000. By the LTB's first order the following August, it had grown to more than $36,000. And by the following February, it was more than $72,000. By the time Gallardi was actually evicted, the claim was more than $76,000, money Adams doubts he'll ever see. Adams wasn't the only person in a rental dispute with Gallardi. He got, like, basically, you know, one payment and that's it. Bernard Matern also accused Gallardi in the LTB of not paying $18,000 in a rent-to-own agreement and evicted him just before the pandemic began. Both Matern and Adams turned to the authorities to try to remove Gallardi, and both were surprised to discover that he was in law enforcement, too, as a Canadian border guard. The Canadian Border Services Agency confirmed to us that Gallardi is an officer, though he is on a medical leave. I have friends and family that are in law enforcement, and uh, I mean, they're flabbergasted. I negotiated a good agreement. Gallardi met with us to say he settled with Matern for $10,000. As for the Beachview property, he says he agreed to a lower rent thanks to COVID-19 and stayed there with a sick relative. He claims Adams raised the rent, and due to the illness, Gallardi says he and his family couldn't leave. After 22 months, the LTB sided with Adams. Gallardi claims his rights weren't upheld and has appealed to divisional court. As time went by, and I knew that this was unfair, I fought it, and I kept fighting it, and I'm still going to keep fighting it. An appeal would push this fight to more than two years. A delay Adam says is too long, but at least now he's collecting rent from a new tenant. Gallardi denies he's facing any CBSA discipline over this, and the CBSA wouldn't comment on that. There is a bill that could make border guard discipline public. Adams wants that to happen, and he also wants an easy way to look up tenant histories at the LTB so that landlords can know more about potential tenants up before they sign a lease. Reporting live, I'm John Woodward. Back to you. Thank you, John. And if you have a story idea for CTV News Investigates, please let us know. You can email investigate at ctv.ca or visit our website for more secure and anonymous ways to get in touch. A Toronto man is in police custody tonight, accused in a shooting yesterday in Mississauga. The incident left one man dead and a neighbourhood concerned about its safety. Here's CTV's Austin Delaney to explain. A forensic investigator snapped pictures of the crime scene while another officer held a bag carrying evidence. Markers are scattered along the path where the murder happened. It is a pathway that runs next to the Meadowvale Community Centre. And last night, just past the tunnel leading to the Meadowvale Town Centre, 26-year-old Nathaniel White of no fixed address was shot dead. Townhouses overlook the path and residents say this murder was too close for comfort. It's very scary, very scary because it's not the first time it happened. Um, there's been another incident that happened in that um, alleyway. Uh, it connects the uh, town centre to the library, to the community centre. Um, there's a lot of kids, a lot of um, small children and teenagers that walk in that alleyway, so it, it hits too close to home. It's very scary. Uh, it's like... Uh, now we feel like it's not safe here to live. Yeah, yeah okay. it was very peaceful before, and uh, now 
everything became worse. It happened around 9.45 last evening. Neighbors say a group of people were hanging around the path when they heard a single gunshot, then a woman screaming. Neighbors told us they thought the 26-year-old victim was shot by accident. A charge of second-degree murder against 30-year-old Kareem Salmon of Toronto would suggest otherwise. Salmon appeared in court today and was remanded into custody. Austin Delaney, CTV News, Mississauga. Pearson Airport is trying to avoid massive lineups at security ahead of what is expected to be a busy winter travel season. YYZ Express will allow customers on select flights to reserve their security screening spot in advance. Groups of up to 10 can be accommodated on most domestic and international flights and will then be transferred to the express security line. There is a catch, though. Passengers must arrive within 15 minutes of their reservation time. How did the so-called Freedom Convoy raise money, and where did that money go? Those questions were the focus of more testimony today at the Emergencies Act inquiry. CTV's Judy Trin has more from Ottawa. The theme to today's inquiry was Freedom Convoy finances, and lawyers with the commission followed the money trail. They revealed that the organization had raised more than $24 million through four main platforms, GoFundMe, Give, Send, Go, which is a U.S.-based Christian fundraising site, the Adopt-A-Trucker program, and through cryptocurrency platforms. One of the primary uh, fundraisers was Tamara Leach, and she will testify later on about just where the money went. We heard today that more than $1 million was transferred into her personal account, and she will have to answer questions in regards to that. There was also testimony today from James Bowder. He is of Canada Unity and the creator of the Memorandum of Understanding, which called for the replacement of the Canadian government. He deemed the Canadian government illegitimate, and today he testified about his view on COVID-19 restrictions. Take a listen. What Canada Unity has, has developed into has been my honour and privilege to serve. We represent and we defend all Canadian lawful freedom of choice by coming together in unity. You have taken a position that uh, with respect to COVID-19 public health measures, what's that position? I find them all unlawful. Bowder also said that while in Ottawa, his group organized something called Operation Bear Hug, which involved demonstrators in large groups going into various stores and restaurants without their masks. The convoy hearings have heard that uh, during uh, the February protests that stores in Ottawa's downtown core uh, were forced to close for several weeks because staff felt intimidated. Currently, there is a class action lawsuit worth $300 million filed by the citizens of Ottawa against the organizers of the Freedom Convoy. Judy Trin, CTV News, Ottawa. Supporters of Pakistan's former Prime Minister Imran Khan staged protests in several cities today after he was wounded in a shooting. Khan supporters burned tires and chanted as the former PM recovers from a gunshot wound to his leg. A spokesperson for Khan's party suggested the incident was an assassination attempt. A suspect is in custody and Pakistan's interior ministry says it is investigating.
More fighting today in eastern Ukraine as civilian areas continue to come under fire. Russian troops have been keeping up missile attacks on the city of Bakhmut. At the same time, Europe's largest nuclear power plant is once again relying on emergency generators after fighting in the area cut it off from Ukraine's power grid. Ukraine is keeping up its counteroffensive in other areas, with optimism growing that it might retake the city of Kherson from the Russians. G7 foreign ministers are meeting for two days of talks in Germany, and the war in Ukraine has been a key focus. Canada's Melanie Jolie is among the ministers who are concerned about the conflict. Germany says members will discuss how to support Ukraine through the winter amid Russian attacks on its power grid. The ministers are also expected to address relations with China and Iran's crackdown on anti-government protesters. Glaciers help cool Earth by reflecting heat back into space, but a new report from the United Nations says many may not survive the planet's changing climate. The report says about a third of all glaciers monitored by the UN will disappear by the year 2050. The list includes some of the world's most treasured sites, including the Dolomites in Italy, Yosemite and Yellowstone Parks in the U.S., and Mount Kilimanjaro in Tanzania. The UN says limiting global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius could save the remaining glaciers. A family in Alberta is praising a neighbor for some quick thinking and a feat of strength that may have saved their lives. You guys! There was a big bang at the door. I woke my wife up. She woke me up. A doorbell cam captured Travis Levitsky's desperate desperately trying to wake up the family inside this home and warn them about the flames next door. He eventually kicked his way in. Levisky also warned the neighbors on the other side of the burning house. Firefighters say everyone made it out safely. To the UK now, where a larger-than-life Christmas display turned into a dangerous game of dodgeball. Two massive Christmas ornaments, each larger than a car, were swept away from their display during strong winds in central London. The baubles were captured tumbling down the street, wreaking havoc. As confused bystanders looked on, no injuries were reported. And in just a few weeks' time, a familiar holiday favorite will be rolling down Toronto streets after being held virtually for two years due to the pandemic. The Santa Claus Parade returns, and hopefully families will too. A preview coming up. And I'm Pat Foran. Coming up on Consumer Alert, no one enjoys moving, and it can be a big job. You can save money if you rent a van or a truck and do it yourself. But if you damage a vehicle, you could still have to pay for repairs, even if you purchase damage liability insurance. I'll tell you why. That's just a hit. Fog is expected to become more dense and more widespread in some areas as the evening goes on. Here's tonight at a glance. Very mild overnight at 10 degrees. Tomorrow in many areas we will be waking up to fog once more, but expected to start to dissipate late morning or around noon. We have your weekend forecast coming up and stay with us. Another full night of great shows is ahead for you right here on CTV. Many people move on the first of the month, and that means many moving vans and trucks are being returned this week. If you rent a moving van, you can buy extra insurance in case there is an accident. But you should know it may not cover everything. Pat Foran explains on Consumer Alert. Pat. Thanks, Ryda and Nathan. A Toronto woman rented a moving van for less than a day. After she returned it, she got a letter saying she was responsible for $2,000 damage. She was told she had to pay it even though she purchased insurance coverage. I was extremely shocked and angry. 
Con Nguyen of Toronto rented a U-Haul van last November for a move. She paid extra for damage liability insurance coverage in case of an accident. It was my first time renting a U-Haul van, and I just thought, you know, if I pay the damage um, liability waiver, you know, anything that happened to the truck without my knowledge would have been covered. Nguyen only had the van for six hours and dropped it off, but two months later she received a notice saying she had to pay a damage amount of almost $2,000. U-Haul said a black molding on the top of the van at the back was missing when it was returned. U-Haul Media Relations said the investigation confirmed these damages are the responsibility of this customer. Overhead damage is an exclusion to collision damage waiver. Nguyen said she didn't know damage to the van's roof wouldn't be covered by insurance. I was not aware that the overhead damage was not covered. She also believes she didn't cause the damage and says it may have already been there when she rented the van. I did not drive into any parking structures at that time. After U-Haul reviewed Nguyen's case, they dropped the damage amount owing to just over $500. When renting a moving van or truck, you should pay close attention to insurance policies, as many have fine print and exclusions. U-Haul does offer insurance in the United States called Safe Move Plus, which does cover overhead damage. However, that coverage is not offered for U-Haul rentals in Canada. In the end, U-Haul said, As a courtesy, we will erase the fee the customer owes. We always aim to do right by our customers. After almost a year of dealing with the issue, that came as a relief for Nguyen. I'm just really grateful that this miracle happened. Thank you, CTV News. And U-Haul didn't say why overhead protection insurance is offered to Americans, but not to Canadians. The company did say the coverage does not apply to pickups and cargo vans in the U.S., only to its larger moving trucks. On your side, I'm Pat Foran. If you have a consumer story idea, email us at alert at ctv.ca. Well, I really expected the fog would have lifted, especially by this afternoon, but it's really dreary out there. Yeah, it seems like it just came out of nowhere, and hopefully it's going to clear soon. Yeah, the forecast was for it to lift a little bit earlier in the day. We were expecting a mix of sun and cloud this afternoon. Did not happen everywhere, but some areas, for example, north of Highway 407, had sun today. It's really just communities either hugging the lakeshore or uh, at this hour, areas a little bit further to the east that continue to deal with dense fog. That will be the case through the night tonight. Some improvements are on the way for tomorrow though. Weather is brought to you by Train, the most reliable heating and cooling brand. It's hard to stop a train. Now this is what it looked like downtown early this morning. Yeah, tough to see the tops of buildings and at times a bit hazardous for driving. Tomorrow morning, not expected to be, and we're not expecting the fog to be quite as bad as it was today, but prepare yourself for reduced visibility once again. So what's causing the fog? We have mild air moving over the relatively cooler waters of Lake Ontario. Then all it takes is a light breeze to move that fog inland Hence why many areas right along the lakeshore have been seeing the worst of this fog. As we make our way through the night tonight, you can expect this fog advisory to be in effect uh, really from Scarborough right through Durham, impacting areas like Coburg and then over toward Kingston, Ontario. Uh, reduced visibility may be near zero at times. So just a heads up on that and a reminder for any pedestrians, if you're walking around, you want to make yourself visible during conditions like this. Tomorrow, expecting that the fog is going to lift and dissipate as the day goes 
comes on. If that happens and we get some sunshine, that's going to help us reach our forecast daytime high of 18 degrees. Again, well above seasonal. The normal daytime high at this point in November is now about nine. Here's the current satellite and radar. Uh, overall, it's a quiet looking forecast for your Friday and for part of the day on Saturday, but some wet weather is on the way. Some windy weather too. Here's how it plays out. So tomorrow morning, you can still see a little bit of fog impacting some areas. A mix of sun and cloud through the afternoon. Saturday is going to bring us a little bit in the way of cloud cover too, mixed with some sun. Still looks like it's going to be our warmest day over the next seven. More on that in just a moment. And then as we make our way into the overnight hours, we see the showers arrive and along this front, the winds are going to pick up. So here's your seven day forecast. A little bit stormy overnight Saturday and into Sunday, but Sunday itself is a sunny day. Temperatures still on the mild side for both Sunday and Monday. Then things start to cool it down a little bit by Tuesday. Much more seasonal, eight degrees with a mix of sun and cloud, but we are in for a sunny stretch right through to the end of next week. That's your look at the seven day forecast for now. Nathan, over to you. All right, thank you, Lindsay. Also tonight, it can be diagnosed at any time, most often affecting women and can be life-threatening. After the break, promising new treatment for a rare and often misunderstood condition. Hypertension is one of the most common conditions affecting Canadians, but few are aware of a more rare version, pulmonary hypertension. Our health reporter Pauline Chan has the story of one patient with the illness and their efforts to find a treatment. Andrew Gregg opens up the latest delivery of a new medication to treat his pulmonary arterial hypertension. It's a rare condition, sometimes brought on by autoimmune illnesses, in his case a combination of lupus and connective tissue diseases. I would have difficulty walking up a flight of stairs. As a former long-distance runner, he was able to fight off major symptoms for a few years, but recently suffered a setback. It affects children. It affects people in their 80s, so everybody is at risk. Uh, interestingly enough, it's always been a disease that's much more serious and more common in women. And so about 80% of our patients are women. Dr. Sanjay Mehta says it's only in the past decade that pulmonary hypertension, or PH, has begun to be understood. And it's kind of like the other kind of high blood pressure or hypertension that most people would know, but it's specifically high blood pressure in the lungs. COVID-19 is another illness associated with the development of pH. Sometimes the cause is unknown. It's a progressive disease and was often fatal until new treatments were developed. Greg was on one treatment for several years before his body stopped responding. Now he's trying a new infusion administered by a round-the-clock pump. And they're constantly coming up with new pH drugs um, sometimes they don't get to market as fast as we would like. The last resort for patients would be a heart and lung transplant, but Dr. Mehta says becoming an organ recipient has its own risks. There are about 5,000 people with pH in Canada, but many more could be undiagnosed. Pauline Chan, CTV News. Health Canada says it has received more than 100 inquiries and reports of injuries after a recent recall of dry shampoo products. Last month, Unilever recalled more than 1.5 million products because of the presence of the cancer-causing chemical benzene. The list included products from Dove, Bedhead and Tresemme, and they were sold over the last two years. The reports include claims of irritation or allergic reaction. Lawyers say Unilever will likely face class action lawsuits. The Ottawa Senators could be up for sale and a Canadian celebrity might be interested in buying the team. 
A source tells People magazine that actor Ryan Reynolds is very interested in purchasing the NHL team. The source added that Reynolds would want the team to stay in Ottawa. He already co-owns a British football team. It's worth noting Reynolds and the NHL have not confirmed any plans for a potential sale. A new trailer is out for a Jennifer Lawrence film that had its world premiere at the Toronto International Film Festival. Can you go back? Yes. Should you go back? It's a different question. Causeway stars Lawrence as a U.S. soldier who was hurt in Afghanistan. The Oscar winner portrays the character as she tries to heal from her injuries and the struggles she faces in doing so. The movie streams on Apple TV Plus starting tomorrow. Stars Tonight is brought to you by Lastman's Bad Boy. Who's better? Nobody. School shutdown ripple effect. Tomorrow on CP24 Breakfast, families face a child care crunch as education workers get set for a strike. CP24 Breakfast, where Toronto gets its everything every morning. Returning to our top story tonight in Friday's looming school strike. The Ford government today has pushed through historic back-to-work legislation, but the workers say they're still walking off the job. Our Beth McDonnell is back at a rally in support of the educators tonight. Beth. No, no, no. Nathan, this rally was organized by the Ontario Parent Action Network. It began at 6 o'clock and the crowd has been growing ever since. I can tell you in addition to parents here, there are teachers, there are members from QP, there are some high school students and you're looking at one little student. Uh, people have been making speeches throughout the hour. QP telling the crowd that this strike is going to be difficult, especially after the disruptions during COVID. But also saying that this strike is important because services matter, educational support staff matter. People in this crowd obviously very supportive of what everyone has been saying and sharing. Lots of cheers. Lots of, no of people pressure. coming together. And I should also Anybody? say, some people here have no okay. connection to the education system. Yeah. Some people, in fact, are upset honey? just about the way the Ford government has approached this dispute, saying that they don't I like seeing that, charter rights I overridden. That, we are standing um, by. I we are continuing to listen in and watch. And we'll be following this story throughout the night. You Back to you. Nice. Thank you, so Thank you Beth. And remember, for more information on what schools will be closed tomorrow and everything you need to know about the looming strike, just go to our website, ctvnewstoronto.ca. The federal government laid out its roadmap for the economy this afternoon. As some critics call for less spending and some call for more, the federal finance minister is warning for the first time of a possible recession. CTV's Ottawa Bureau Chief Joyce Napier reports. With the cost of living creeping up month after month and with the finance minister's warning for weeks that the government cannot compensate every single Canadian, the message in today's federal economic and fiscal statement is unequivocal. The economy is slowing down, the country may face a recession, but the government says it has a plan. A plan that supports Canadians and uh, builds an economy that works for everyone. This in an economy influenced mostly by forces outside of the government's control. A pandemic, a war in Europe, disrupted global supply chains, energy shortages and climate. 
all inflationary forces that are making life less affordable. The fact of the matter is that the, the sort of the tools that the government has are pretty limited in that case because the economy is definitely affected by international uh, changes. Inflation remains high at 6.9 percent, and the central bank has raised its rate to 3.75 to compensate, forcing Canadians to tighten their belts while the government reigns in spending somewhat. What we've been doing throughout is to strike a balance between necessary compassion and support for Canadians and fiscal responsibility. The projected federal deficit for 2022-2023 is $36.4 billion. In a worst-case scenario, a possible recession, it would climb to slightly over $49 billion, still lower than what was projected in the spring budget. It's actually a very difficult environment to know exactly how you should maneuver policy. Meaning if the government spends too much, it would be fueling inflation. But there are affordability measures for low-income Canadians, totaling slightly over $6 billion, including these previously announced programs. Doubling of the GST credit, the dental benefit, a top-up to the housing benefit, a Hurricane Fiona recovery fund, and the government is setting aside a $1 billion reserve fund for this coming year. There really are measures here that are targeted at the people who need it the most. And there are new and some improved programs. Elimination of interest on federal student loans and making the Canada workers benefit a quarterly payment. Corporations will not be spared. The government will impose a 2% tax on corporate share buybacks to encourage them to reinvest in their domestic operations and workers. The government says it is being prudent in uncertain times, keeping its powder dry in case things get worse and the country does move into a recession, something the minister never wanted to mention until today. Joyce Napier, CTV News, Ottawa. On the markets, the loonie was down a fifth of a cent to 72.78 U.S. Oil lost 183 to close at 88.71 U.S. dollars a barrel. And the TSX composite dipped 35 points to end the day at 19,241. Just ahead, a beloved holiday tradition is returning to the streets. A visit with jolly old Saint Nick himself for a preview of the 2022 Santa Claus Parade. Like your children perhaps sneaking out early to get a look at what's under the tree on Christmas morning, we've got a holiday sneak peek of our own for you. Uh, yeah, it's a preview of what's in store for families ahead of the Santa Claus Parade. Here's our Janice Golding with the lucky assignment. A grand entrance by jolly old St. Nick and his better half. Santa and Mrs. Claus telling us how they feel to be back for the 118th original Santa Claus parade. I am so happy. I can't tell you. My heart is just honestly full of joy. So excited to see the children. We have been talking about this for weeks now. We're just so excited. We can hardly control ourselves. Due to COVID restrictions, the parade was kept off Toronto streets the last two years. But this November 20th, it will be back in full force. I'm, I'm proud of it. It's like one and a half month for this, from nothing to finish. There will be 27 floats this year, designed by people like Byron Choi, who's been working behind the scenes for 24 years. I like the 
happy face on the street, the audience. This is what got me from the beginning. My first year, I saw, I saw all the happy people, and I was like, wow, this is what I'm doing? Yeah. Riding those floats or walking among them, 2,000 volunteers. I think it's going to be awesome. All bedecked in colorful costumes, which wardrobe personnel have been working hard on all year. It's nice. Yeah, do you think you look cool? Yeah. Wardrobe assistant Samantha Spendiff says her favorite costumes this year are a nod to the past. These actually we copied from an old pattern that was actually in the parade over 30 years ago. So we rec recreated them using more modern fabrics so we can easily wash them. Now the parade debuted in 1905 and at the time featured just one attraction, Santa, who traveled through downtown Toronto in a special automobile handing out souvenirs and surprise packages along the way. Now on this, the 118th year, you'll see dozens of floats and... We're going to have marching bands, return of those bands, return of the celebrity clowns who are celebrating their 40th anniversary this year, uh, as well as some new elements, lots of music, lots of entertainment for people to enjoy. To go riding in a one-horse lake. So a very festive kickoff for a very welcome return of an event more than half a million people in the GTA come out to enjoy every year. Janice Golding, CTV News. And a reminder, the parade begins Sunday, November 20th at 1230, starting at Bloor and Christie and ending at Front and Jarvis. And for those families who can't make it in person, you can curl up with the kids and watch the full event on Saturday, December 3rd at 7 p.m. on CTV, ctv.ca and on the CTV app. Now, was that the real Santa? Yes. <laughs> it was. All right. Just making sure. And Santa's hoping for nice weather in yeah. the days ahead leading I, up to Christmas. I mean, maybe a little light magical sprinkling of snow wouldn't be the worst thing, but we don't have that in the forecast tonight. We do have fog, though, and of course, Rudolph is good at guiding us through that. I want to talk first about the current temperatures. Look at the difference between Pickering at 7 degrees and Innisfil at 15. That has just about everything to do with how much sun areas further to the north got compared to communities along the lakeshore. There is still a special weather statement in effect. This is a fog advisory predominantly from Scarborough East. We've seen a little bit of relief from the dense fog in the downtown core. Tomorrow, I do think there will be some fog again tomorrow morning, but it won't be as bad as this morning, and it will dissipate and break up as the day goes on. We'll enjoy some sun and an afternoon high of 18 degrees. If that's not warm enough for you, look at Saturday. We could break a daily temperature record on Saturday, but at night, we're looking at showers, windy weather, conditions clear out and improve for Sunday and Monday. Zoraida and Nathan. All right, thank you, Lindsay. Be sure to join Omar Sachedina tonight at 11 for CTV National News, followed by Zerada with our next local newscast at 11.30. In the meantime, our coverage continues anytime on CP24 and online at ctvnewstoronto.ca. For Lindsay and all of us at CTV News, thank you for watching and have a good night. We'll see you at 11.30.